Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I'm Connie, along with Barista of the Century, Meg. This is episode 50, and she's going to tell us about the Michigan murders. Episode 50, that's so awesome. Also, how does it bur- sound? Like, how does it sound <laughs> to say episode 50? All right. Two more, guys. We're almost there. 50. One and then we're done. No, just kidding. <laughs> and then, regrettably, <laughs> no, we're in this for the long haul. We wouldn't do that to you guys. Or we I might, just, honestly. It just depends on how crazy shit gets. <laughs> it would always just be a hiatus, not like a... Yeah, some. it would be like a new kids on the block hiatus where we come back in 20 years. <laughs> Uh, it is really like, I was thinking about like the editing process this week or last week when I was editing and just thinking about how neither one of us had any idea of anything with podcasting, editing, streaming, Instagram shit. Like we didn't, here we are one year later, one year smarter. It's honestly kind of cringy to go back and listen to the quality of our first episodes. And I'm like, (laughs) or the ones where it's like, we get all the way through and it's like, oh my God, I was recording through my webcam mic. (laughs) Uh, Well, we're not doing that today. No. That's helpful. No, I double checked. Okay. Normally I write like an intro into this, but I kind of just got into it this time. But I will give you... Pretty gnarly trigger warning for rape and bondage and murder and uh, children Oof. and like adolescent, adolescent, teenage children, teenagers. Um, yeah, it's a rough one. Let's All right, here we up. go. Okay, that was funny. <laughs> On July 9th, nineteen sixty-seven. Mary Flazar, a 21-year-old college student at Eastern Michigan University, left her apartment to go on a walk. Her roommate worried as night came and went, but Mary did not come home. After 24 hours, her roommate called Mary's parents, who called the police. As an 18-year-old college student, police suspected that she was probably out partying, doing normal 18-year-old college student stuff. (laughs) Connie and Meg things. Yeah, you know, dangerous things that they shouldn't be doing. But that was unlike Mary, and this became evident when she did not return. Authorities and Mary's family wouldn't know where she was for almost a month. It's too long. On August 7th, two teenage boys discovered her body near a field of a local farm that was roughly three miles away from her apartment. She had been raped and stabbed several times in the chest, One of her forearms and the fingers of the opposite hand and both of her feet had been removed. Holy shit. You're just getting right into it. (laughs) We really are. And it's just going to keep going. But that indicated someone was trying to conceal her identity. She was identified by her dental records. And in addition to this, detectives realized that her body had been moved to various locations on that property three times over the course of that month. Oh, so not only had she been murdered a month prior, the murderer kept moving her around. I want to understand how bad 
of a situation that is, I want you to Google the stages of postmortem. Oh, yeah, that is rough. I didn't even consider that. I was just like, yeesh, what a creep. But yeah, that would be awful. Oh, doesn't stop, though. January of 1968, 13-year-old Eileen Adams' body was found near Ypsilanti, Michigan. She had been raped, strangled with an electrical cord, and her skull had a three-inch nail hammered into it. Her bra had been tied around her neck, and her body was dumped in plain sight. She was wrapped in a rug. Almost exactly one year after Mary, on July 1st, 1968, Joan Elspeth Schell, a 20-year-old Eastern Michigan University student from Plymouth, Michigan, was found stabbed to death. She had been raped and stabbed more than 40 times after her throat was cut. The body was moved again. It didn't stay in the same spot. They had moved it around. Joan's body had laid in what is it was kind of like an abandoned farm structure. It had been in there for four days before somebody moved it to the edge of Ann Arbor, Michigan, and left it in a small grove of trees. So are they wanting the, like, they're, whoever is doing this is wanting the girls to be found, or? It seems like they hide them initially, and then, you know, there's that standard serial killer thing where they come back to see, yeah. and maybe they just think, oh, no, it would be better here. That's kind of what I think it is. Yeah. Uh, you know... Usually you do cases that I don't want to say are funny, but they're quirky. Like it's different and it's, I yeah, am not, normally u- this is your kind of thing. I am not usually sitting on the receiving end of this. Holy crap. So Joan had hitched a ride with three young men on the night of June 30th. So 30 days. Yeah. Yeah. 30 days in June. So the night before, she had gotten a ride with three guys before she was found dead. And those boys were all questioned, but they were all upstanding young men, I'm sure. And their supplied alibis were taken. It only took eight months before the next body was found. 23-year-old law student Jane Mixer was found murdered on March 21st, 1969. Jane had been strangled with pantyhose, not her own. And then she was shot twice in the head with 22 caliber bullets. It's strange to me that the method is changing. It's different every time. It varies. And that was strange for police too. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But this one in particular was much different. Her body was actually laid across a grave in Ann Arbor Cemetery. And she was covered with her yellow raincoat that she had been wearing. Under the raincoat, the murderer had pulled up her dress to show, like, her underwear. Um, And next to her body, they sat a copy of the book Catch-22. And her shoes were just neatly placed next to the book. And she was not sexually assaulted. So it was like a, I don't know. It was someone being real creepy, but it was almost like, like a joke to them. You know, the book thing really was gross. Yeah, that's. So four days after they found Jane Mixer, another young woman was found mutilated. Marilyn Skelton was 16. Marilyn had been hitchhiking near a shopping center on March 24th, and her body was discovered the very next day, shockingly close 
to the location of the previous victim, Joan. A third of her skull had been crushed from repeated blows. She was naked, a shirt was shoved into her mouth as a gag, and she had been strangled with a garter belt. She had also been sexually assaulted with a stick. Ah. Marilyn was found with no identifying paperwork, but she had been reporting missing nearly a week earlier by her parents after she left their Romulus, Michigan home. They were about to move, so they were going in between houses, and she was having a hard time with it and her parents and everything. So this one, Marilyn had some speculation as to whether or not she was involved with this group of girls, whether it was the same person, because she had been she'd been in like juvenile detention. She had been caught dealing drugs. She had kind of a harder upbringing than these other girls that were found. Um, but she was identified because of her missing persons flyer. And her parents came and found her. So obviously, right? We're dealing with a serial killer. Yeah, obviously. (laughs) Duh. But they could find no cracks in this case. They, there was no physical evidence. There was nothing. And they're all, the MO is so different every time. Exactly. They're like, what are we waiting for? What are we looking for? Um, But the murderer... Loved that. Thrilled them. Thrilled them so much that they started to taunt the police. Ugh, little bitch. Little bitch. Upon returning to one of the murder sites, detectives discovered the clothes and jewelry of two of the victims that had not previously been there. Someone had come back and put it there. A short time later, the farm building where that extra evidence was found was burned to the ground in an act of arson. So they came back, placed clothes and jewelry, and then they came back again and burnt it down. The like driveway leading up to the building had five clipped lilac branches, which were representative of each girl that had been found. That building had also been the location of the electrical cord that was later found around the strangled girl's necks. So this building... I, I feel like he probably burned it down to because he'd been going back so much. Yeah, it's almost like if evidence was going to be found, it, were, it was going to be it's found It's going to be there, yeah. The fifth body was found. It was 13-year-old Dawn Basum. Evidence of her murder was found only one mile away from where Mary Flazar's body was found. She was half naked. She'd been strangled with that electrical cord that had been stolen from the burning barn. Dawn had been sliced across the chest and genitals, but it seemed like no rape had taken place. She had just been slashed. A handkerchief had been shoved into her mouth, and after her death, she had been just tossed onto a back road. The additional clothing found at the murder site that was burned down was Dawn's sweater, and the jewelry they had found was Marilyn's, which linked them together yeah finally we're like okay these are all the same person on june 9th 1969 three teen boys found the body of 23 year old graduate student alice callum two days earlier on august 7th alice had gone to a birthday party at a friend's house she had spent the night dancing and she left around midnight she was reported missing by a friend the next day when she didn't arrive um at to do their photography homework. That same 
friend was the man who had to identify her on Monday after they found her body. Uh, she was found in a length of tall grass. Alice had been stabbed twice in the heart. She was covered in slashes. She'd been shot in the forehead. But her thumb had also sustained a bullet injury, so she had put her hand up to fight the attacker away, and it got in her thumb. Her head was almost decapitated from her body. And, like the other girls, she had been raped. But they didn't. They couldn't tell if the rape had happened before or after her death. So again, it changes just a little bit. Now it's like, why? Why are they sexually assaulting some but not the others? Great question. Um, I don't know. I think Dawn. Maybe it was because they found out she was thirteen. I mean, didn't stop with a sixteen-year-old, but who knows? Ugh. Our brains don't work like that. That's why. We- or maybe it's like. To keep the crimes different enough? Like, I don't know. They all sound like rage killings. Yeah. So I don't think that this person can even think straight when it's happening. I think they're just nuts. Yeah, you would have to be. That they're it's like it's, overkill. It's so much. Yeah, it's chaotic. Yeah. It's like stabbed 40 times, ripped apart, almost decapitated. Anything else? Yeah, like it's not very methodical. Mm-mm. On June 10th, buttons from Alice's raincoat and dried bloodstains were found at a commercial gravel pit. And initially, they started to think that Jane Mixer, the one found on the gravesite, might have been murdered by someone else because she had been shot. And the other girls hadn't. But now Alice's gunshot lumped Jane's murder back in with the other ones again. So if you were, this is like a small college campus, right? So if you lived in this area and these murderers are happening constantly, you'd be freaking out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone would be like, why haven't you caught this person? Uh, and the people of Ann Arbor and Ypsilanti and the surrounding areas, they were freaking the fudge out. All of them. They were all crazy. Especially the female students attending Eastern Michigan University. Yeah. They're happening closer and closer together. There's little to no physical evidence. And the killer, despite thousands of interviews, there were more than a thousand sex offenders being investigated. There have been over 800 tips from informants, like unsavory underground informants trying to get like links to other people. They had nothing. And the community decided that they wanted to hire a psychic. And it was a pretty famous one. Madam Peter- Cleo. <laughs> no. <laughs> Wish <laughs> I wish it was or Miss Cleo. Miss Cleo. Cleo. <laughs> you ever woke up at 1 a.m. after you fell asleep <laughs> on the couch? And you saw her there in her purple dress. I'm so sorry. I had to break the tension. I had to. <laughs> every single time. I always wanted to call. I never did. I but. know because I'm like they're gonna know. The, <laughs> they're gonna it's like tell the me first- the future. The first 15 seconds are free, and then it's $400 for each second after that. You're like, what can you tell me in 15 seconds? Go! Nothing. They're not going to tell you anything. Okay, so this famous psychic they hired, it was Peter Herkos. And he worked on the Manson family murders and the Boston Strangler murder cases. And he generated clues for them. Okay. He's also an entertainer. He became very popular uh, for 
a lot of reasons. He said that Adolf Hitler was still alive and he lived in Argentina or something. He he had a lot of really far-fetched things. His job was to get the psychic profile of the murderer. So we have like forensic profiles and we have psychic profiles to just generate that. Do tell. He predicted that the murderer was a strong white male under 25, that he had been born outside of the USA, and he drove a motorcycle. And he was right. Shut up. He was right. Not only was he right, he led investigators to murder locations and gave details that had not been revealed to the public. So he just... Okay, go ahead, <laughs> Go ahead, Peter Herkos. Um, and he suggested that the murderer was going to strike again. I'm pretty certain we all could have guessed that. Oh, yeah. But he did. Soon. Soon after that. 18-year-old. I'm going to say this and you're going to go. 18-year-old <gasps> Karen Sue. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not laughing at the situation. <laughs> that is St. Karen's name. <laughs> Karen Sue. Karen Sue Bianaman. So it's not our Karen Sue. Karen had left her dorm dorm room on July 23rd, 1969. She headed to a nearby wig shop. It was downtown, so she was just walking downtown, pick up her wig. <laughs> her roommate, Sherry, called the police immediately after she didn't return home by curfew. Sherry was not playing around. She was like, mm-mm, there's a serial killer on the loose. Get You're you a here. Sherry. Yeah, get, everybody get you a Sherry. That with would an be eye. you. Only it'd be like, all right, wait. Connie has disappeared. And then I'd just like be on the couch. <laughs> She's gone. I'm going to alert authorities and then I will look for her. And then I would find you and I have to call him back and be like, like just uh... kidding. She's disassociating again. <laughs> Sorry. She just took a four hour nap. I didn't know where <laughs> she was. Karen didn't come home. Three days later, her body was discovered face down in a wooded area off of another back road. Karen had been beaten so badly that sections of her skin were missing. It showed just the tissue underneath. Oof. Her skull and consequently her brain had multiple blunt force injuries. She had been forced to drink a caustic chemical. And then that chemical had been poured over her chest and neck and shoulders. A piece of cloth was found in her mouth. She had also been raped. After which, her underwear had been stuffed inside of her vagina. When the underwear were inspected, they found semen and human hair that did not match Karen's hair because the hair was blonde and her hair was dark. This person who was doing this regularly returned to the scene of the crime to move his victim. He did it on numerous occasions. Yeah. So the theory was that he would do it again as long as he didn't think she had been found. So they had tried this two times prior. They tried to do a media blackout. Like, don't report on it. Don't do anything. He can't know. We're trying to catch him. But it didn't work. Either they got reported before someone knew, or they just didn't care and wanted the numbers. I'm not really sure. But this time with Karen, it did work. They successfully implemented a news blackout, and they replaced Karen's body with a mannequin. So you wouldn't know. 
And at 2 a.m. Shut the up. very next morning. In Shut the up. middle of a storm. Like a rainstorm? Yeah, it was pouring rain. It was humid. You could ba- it was foggy. You couldn't see anything. And an undercover officer watching the area reported a young man running from the area. Getting the hell out of Dodge. Because he realized he was a mannequin. Yeah, absolutely. He's like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> Surprise, shoddy. Unfortunately, because of this storm, the officer's radio was down. And he hadn't even seen the man go into the area. He just saw him leave. So he couldn't even give a description. And he couldn't call for backup or to get anyone. Or to run him over. We couldn't (laughs) Couldn't see anything. Run him over. So investigation continues. (laughs) I know. I know. I'm so sorry. They should have had a cop laying there. Like in every movie. <laughs> like the blanket moves and it's just a cop and they're like, you're under arrest. That's. <laughs> that would be great. Um, detectives in the audience, take note. <laughs> take note. Like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> just be the mannequin. Lay face down in the gully. What's wrong with you? The, <laughs> the detectives did retrace Karen's steps. They went to the wig shop where she was last seen. And the woman who was working there, she recalled that Karen had been in. She purchased a $20 hairpiece. And she hadn't only seen Karen. There had also been a man with short, dark hair, wearing a striped sweater, waiting for the girl on his blue motorcycle. Kind of a conspicuous color for a motorcycle, if you ask me. The wake shop worker told police that Karen had asked her, she was like, look at this guy. I'm either the bravest or the dumbest girl alive because I just accepted a ride from this guy. Aww. She left the shop and got that on the bike me. and they rode off. That a clerk my heart. from the store. So the wig shop lady thought it was a Honda, but there was a clerk in the store across from the wig shop and she was like, no, it was a Triumph. And it actually was. The bike had been a Triumph bike. That's the, We talked about this. This is the hardest thing about like witness like accounts witness accounts it was this no it was this it was a triumph though conveniently a patrolman named larry matthewson which is the most patrolman sounding name absolutely he has a mustache (laughs) he has a mustache yes he's got aviator sunglasses (laughs) wait is this you've seen the picture no i haven't that's what i pictured right I didn't look up his picture. He, there wasn't one. I'm going to see if I can find him. Like a, I can't. I'm not going to see Go it. on. Yeah, dude. <laughs> please sing for us. It's like about a striped not sweater. Not that kind of show. Uh, so Larry. <laughs> Larry knew of a man who fit that exact description. And he rode a blue Triumph. Well, well, well see what the consequences of our actions have brought us john norman collins oh man fuck that name i know i actually i just realized there's a typo and it says john normal collins but it was norman (laughs) not normal at all he was a theta chai frat boy who had previously been questioned in the disappearance and the murder of joan according to him he had been quote unquote with his mama and the officers took it at face value. Like, yeah, for sure. You were definitely with your mom. When questioned, 
now, John said he had been riding his motorcycle in the area, and then he stopped off to talk to an old girlfriend, which John had a ton of old girlfriends. We'll kind of find out. All right, so the investigators are like, okay, we'll go talk to your old girlfriend then. And that girlfriend gave them pictures of John. They were like, here's the pictures. So they took those pictures. They went to the wig shop. Yeah. And they were like, hey, is this the guy? Yep. Absolutely. That is John Norman Collins. That was definitely the man that Karen had last been seen with. Dun, dun, dun. In fact, he had prior contact with almost all of these women. He had lived on the same block as both Mary and Joan. In Mary's case, John had worked across the hall from her. One of Collins' ex-girlfriends lived in an apartment complex directly across from Don Basom's home, and she had disappeared walking along a dirt road that he regularly, he rode his motorcycle on it every single day. Marilyn Skelton hung out in an apartment next door to the home of another one of John Collins' friends. It's like the Kachevo monster where it's like they start realizing like everyone fits like this, like the spider spider web. web, Yeah. It's a very big spider web, but there's one spider in the center of it. Mm -hmm. And he's a dumbass frat boy. John Norman Collins was born June 17th, 1947 in Centerline, Michigan. From the time he was a baby, Until he was about nine, he was violently abused by three of his mom's husbands. Wait, did he? So he wasn't born in the United States? Was he born in the United States? He was born in the United States. That was the one thing he did get wrong. Okay. But he was pretty right on with all the other stuff. Um, He had been violently, violently abused by three of his mom's husbands. By 18, he kind of overcame. It seemed he had overcome the violence of his childhood he was an honor student. He was captain of the football team. He was a star pitcher on his school's baseball team and a club president. But if you asked the many girls he dated, you would learn that he was very sexually aggressive and he was very angry. And he was a klepto. Which makes sense because all the girls had things stolen from them. Yes, they did. Some were missing a shoe. Some were missing jewelry, clothes. Once he got to college, he actually got kicked out of that fraternity for stealing. His grades started to drop during his second year at Eastern Michigan University, and one of his professors accused him of cheating. His co-workers that he worked with, uh, he worked on break drums. They accused him of being a petty thief, and the sexual aggression was still there. He had raped women and talked about it. He once walked in on his sister and a man, and he beat his sister, calling her a tramp so badly that she had to go to the emergency room. Jesus. Yeah, right? He also loved to recount the details of the Michigan murders to his female friends to watch them squirm. Details that he claimed to know because his uncle, David Lake, was a state police corporal. And actually, during the time that Karen Sue was missing, John Norman Collins was dog-sitting for his Uncle David in Ypsilanti, Michigan. When his uncle returned home, three days after Karen's body had been found, he learned that his nephew was being questioned. He was a suspect in Karen's murder, 
And after all these interviews came out, he's like, I never told him anything about those things. So when he got home, he looked around and he went down in his basement and realized that John had spilled a bunch of paint down there, like a bunch of black paint all over the basement floor. Ah. And David Leake, being a state police corporal, was like, I'm going to scrape this paint up. So he did. And what did he find? (laughs) What he found was a very large brownish stain. But that stain was just varnish. It was a big varnish stain from something else. But when he was cleaning it, he had to move his washing machine. And under his washing machine, his wife had cut their kid's hair down there. because Probably just because it was less messy. I don't mm-hmm. know. And he found hair clippings like all under there. So he wondered that maybe some of that hair didn't belong to his family. Or maybe some of that hair had gotten somewhere else if someone had been in the basement. And so he sent it to the lab. He's like, I'm going to send this into the lab to get tested. And what came back was not a match for Karen's hair, but it was a match for his young son's blonde hair that was found in Karen's underwear. (gasps) It had been picked up from the floor and he had spilled the paint because he thought he was trying to cover blood stains, but it was just varnish. So he got himself. What a... I know. So good. You, you love wow. love a dumb criminal. Wow. And good it, for his uncle for not trying to cover any of it up and being like, nope. No, straight up is like, I'm going to scrape this paint up, see what's under it. I bet all that hair is not ours. <laughs> good guess. Damn. Um, they actually did find a very small blood stain on that washing machine in the basement as well. The Leak mm. family's next door neighbor had heard a woman screaming while John Norman Collins was house-sitting. And another neighbor had seen him leave the house with a huge detergent box. I don't know what a detergent box is. I don't think it's like a smaller like laundry detergent box, but it was like a big one. What is a detergent box? I don't know. Someone tell me what a detergent box is. <laughs> Deserves a goog, I think. John's roommate had also seen some of the items that the girls had been missing in a box in John's room. Just had a box, like a treasure chest of stolen items from murdered girls. Collins had also threatened his roommate so that he would hide a gun and ammo that he had. It was like, you're going to hide this for me or I'll kill you. I'd have just taken the gun and been like, okay, I'll hide it. And then I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Take just that. Just kidding. I don't condone that. <laughs> I don't condone murder, guys. All of these things were the things that worked against him when he went to trial after he was arrested. Good. Jesus. He was found guilty of the murder of Karen Sue and sentenced to life without parole but there was no physical evidence linking him to any of the other murders. Oh, that's bullshit. Any of the other murders in Michigan. But (gasps) there was physical evidence linking him to a murder in California. Across the country, only a few days, like a week before Karen was gone, 
July 13, 1969, 17-year-old Roxy Phillips was found nude with a belt around her neck. Her body was decomposed. She had been missing for two weeks. Collins had conveniently been on vacation in California, and he was the last person to have seen Roxy. What the he hell? He gave her he a just, ride to the post office. Just goes on vacation and kills people? And then immediately comes back and does it again. Like, it's like the 13th and the 23rd. There's 10 days there, you know? He's like, I'm going to enjoy the rest of my vacation. And he drove there. So her body was found in Monterey Bay. And despite trying to clean his vehicle, a fragment of her dress was found in his car in Michigan. So initially they were going to extradite him, but he got sentenced for Karen and he got life without parole, which is the maximum sentence that he would have gotten mm-hmm. in California. So they didn't extradite him. They're like, we're not going to waste money on this asshole. Yeah, keep his ass there. So those other murders are open, but two of them have been solved and linked to other men, despite the similarities. What? Yes. Which ones? Jane Mixer. The okay. gal in the grave with the book. They thought it wasn't him, and then they thought it was. Um, but the fact that she had not been raped really stood out. Yep. Don and Ooh. Alice, they they assumed they Don and Alice, the ones that weren't technically solved, they were like, no, and Mary. They're like, no, we think that's John Collins. But in the early 2000s, cold case units started taking a fresh look mm-hmm. at these cases and they submitted a bunch of DNA for testing. And when the case of Jane, it came back that there was no John Collins DNA there. It matched a nurse in Southwest Michigan, an old man nurse. Yeah. Weird. Did they arrest him? In the fall of 2004, Gary Lederman was investigated for the murder of Jane Mixer. Lederman had been arrested in 2001 because he had been stealing doctor's prescription pads and writing himself scripts for Vicodin and Lorisets. He pled guilty and he was sentenced to rehab because he said he was became addicted to the pills after taking them for a kidney infection. Mm-hmm. But as a felon, he had to give a DNA swab and that swab connected him to the murder. Um, Jane, at the time, she was going to go back home for spring break and they had a bulletin board and they would put ride chairs up. So if there was another student that lived in the area and had a car, you could like get a ride with them Mm -hmm. pre-internet, you know. So she put a bulletin up on a ride chair to get a ride home for spring break, but she never made it home. And the police only ever found one clue in Jane's case. It was a phone book in a dorm it had the word mixer and muskegon written on it which is where her family lived and that handwriting matched gary's now like 63 year old handwriting not only that but they're like okay we're gonna search your house for evidence detectives found two polaroid photos hidden they were pictures of a foreign exchange student that had lived with the lederman family he had a wife he had children in the polaroids the girl was drugged unconscious on Gary's bed. Her clothing had been pulled up to expose her genitals, and her body was laying almost exactly how Jane Mixer's body was found under her raincoat. So That's awful. 
in addition to the murder of Jane Mixer, which he insists he is not guilty of, he did plead guilty to child pornography charges, which I think deserves life in prison anyways. Absolutely. Like, so there's some drama from that camp saying that that DNA wasn't accurate. There's no way he wasn't there. But even if he's not, he's still a creep. Yeah. Like that picture alone is enough. Like you drugged a 16 year old girl and took naked pictures of her body. You deserve to be in jail forever. Yeah, absolutely. Go to hell. And I will stand on that until I die. There should mm -hmm. be no leniency for any child cases. Automatic life in prison. No parole. You're done. Yeah. Because statistics show it's not, it's never a one and done thing. It is never like I did this. I know it's bad. Sorry. It's like, never, no, you're it's not going to happen. You're going to do it again. And you've done it before. This is yep. just the first time you got caught. Exactly. And speaking of that, Eileen Adams was the other one, the 13 year old who was found with the nail hammered into her head in Ypsilanti. She was found to have been murdered by someone who dumped her body in Michigan. Robert Bowman had abducted Eileen on her way home from school and held her captive. Okay, so this happened in 60, I think that one was 68. And it didn't get solved until 2011. Jesus. But at the time, they asked for tips if anybody knew anything. And like hundreds of women called in saying, I think it's my husband. I think it's my boyfriend. I think it's my ex-husband. I think it's my ex-boyfriend. And one of those women was right. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. He had abducted her on her way home from school and held her captive in his basement for days before he murdered her. He was first linked to this case and there was lack of evidence. And so they dismissed it. Mm -hmm. But then a cold case crew took another look at it. And in 2008, his wife came forward again as a witness. She had been going to police since like the 80s. But Bowman had threatened to murder her and their newborn daughter if she told. And that now because she, she thought she had heard rats in the basement. So she went into the basement and she saw this girl she was naked, hung on a cross like Jesus in their basement with tape over her mouth. And she said she was alive at the time. She looked her right in the eyes. And he said, you found her and now I have to kill her. And then she made, he made her go with him to dump the body. So she didn't come forward because she was like, I'm going to be charged as an accessory or he's going to kill me. Well, fuck her too, to be honest. <laughs> But she did go to the police in 1981 because she was finally able to leave Robert. She was like, okay, I'm away from him. I feel safe. I'm going to go. And nobody believed her because all of these other women had done the same thing. Mm -hmm. And finally, someone was like, okay, give us your DNA. So she gave her DNA and their daughter submitted DNA. And the semen in Eileen's underwear matched Robert Bowman. Oh, because they isolated hers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And he said the grossest thing I've ever heard. He said, it doesn't mean I killed her. It means I fucked her. And they put that guy away for the rest of his life, too. He wasn't arrested until he was 75. But he, honestly, I swear, that dude could have his own episode, too. Because there are, like, he's probably a serial killer. There are tons of murders, like, potentially linked to him. And he's nuts. 
he's like one of those uh like really smart crazy people oh the worst yeah man so, that's gross and that just made my stomach turn i know it's disgusting Ugh, <sighs> i hate that guy like that i i found that at the very end of researching this case and there's a crazy article from the miami news times about that guy it's great he's scary he is a scary i'm so glad he's in jail now because he's terrifying what was his uh, name robert bowman robert bowman okay yeah no one's ever heard of him because he was literally living under a tarp in the desert when they found him he's like a drifter oh that's scary it's so scary they're just like that's literally like what nightmares are made of Exactly. And that's what his wife said, too. She was like, they moved, or his ex-wife, uh, they moved all over the place here and there, and she finally escaped. And mm-hmm. yeah. So there's John Norman Collins. He's the one who murdered the women, except for Jane Mixer and Eileen Adams. Plus one in California. I have no words. I know. It was a rough one. That I'll quote have- from Robert Bowman. I know it's going to be stuck in. Did it? Um, I think that was another poly class quote too. Uh-huh. Or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's the same thing. You're just like, and when they interviewed that guy, he. Oh, so with poly class, he was saying, uh, he told the investigators, he told the judge, like when he was interviewed or whatever. Oh, don't do me. Don't do me like my dad did. Yeah, I remember that. And then when they found that, oh, it's just one of those gross, like, that that was unnecessary. But he wouldn't admit to it or say that he didn't do it. He would just kept telling detectives, like, that's your job to find out. I'm not going to make it easy for you. And he had these weird, he, like, lived in this abandoned restaurant for a while. And the owner, like, paid him $10 a month to live there and like watch over the place, which is weird in general. And he like lived with rats that he said were his friends and it was his art studio. And he had these dolls that he had hammered nails into their head. Like each one had a three inch nail hammered into its head, just like Eileen. And I was like, Oh, what the, that's too much. And there was another, there's another teenage girl that was found in that area that he was like a couple years before. And they, they're pretty sure it's him, but what was going on in Michigan. Like, right. That's what I like. When I first started this, I didn't realize that like two other people were going to pop out of the woodworks and be like, surprise. It was us too. And they all looked so similar. Um, that creepy old man vibe. That, creep, yeah. that just that creep. Well, I guess they wouldn't have been old men then, but like just that creeper, like, yeah, they weren't old men. They were actually really young. Um, Gary Lederman, he had a roommate, his previous roommate from that time when he lived in the area, said that he was obsessed with the Michigan murders. Like, he read everything he could about them. He kept all of the newspaper clippings about it. So it's almost like it was a copycat. Or his version it. of a copycat. Yeah, super hate to see it. And that, uh, John is still in prison in Michigan. I want to go to prison and fight him. Yeah. I want to burn the prison down with him in it. 
Like I'm going to go commit a crime in Michigan <laughs> go commit. to go to prison. We've been saying that a lot lately. <laughs> I'm going to commit know, I crimes that. so I can go to prison and, and just mess start these guys up. <laughs> start throwing bows. <laughs> Meanwhile, I almost didn't walk out of my house today because there were spider webs all over the bushes. <laughs> today in the car when we were driving home, my kid was like, a bee, a bee, and she started screaming, and it was a fly, and I laughed, because I was like, that's a fly, and she cried more, <laughs> I felt so bad, I was just like, it's a, it's a fly, it won't hurt you, but she was freaking out. She, the one that got just, just got stung. Yeah, she just got stung by a bee. It's like, PTSD, mom, leave her alone, <laughs> She's gonna get your C- shit together. PTSD from getting stung by a bee. I did. She screamed a lot. I felt awful. But I also didn't feel that bad because she was the one that was just sitting in the middle of the bees. And I told her to move. I was like, come inside. Don't sit in that bee porch. She doesn't. She's like a pool of bees. Like Candyman. She literally had like olives on 10 of her fingers. Like giant like black (laughs) olives. And she was just eating them off of her fingers. And then I just hear her scream. And like there's olives spit everywhere. And I was like, you got stung by a bee, didn't you? They just wanted her olives. I know. That's what I told her. I was like, if you go out there, don't take food outside. I have just realized it's like prime. Well, not just realized. It is prime scary movie watching season. And we were talking today at work about the old movies from the 80s and how like you'd watch them and then you'd be like oh my god these are so scary and then like now you watch them and you're like ah these are so cheesy but there's one called have you ever seen sleepaway camp no okay i don't like scary movies we've had this no this is like it's like a thriller yeah it's more of a thriller but it's like from the 80s it might even be from the 70s it's like really old And it's one of those movies, it literally lives rent-free in my head, and I don't know why. Like, I only remember pieces of it. Like, little pieces pop out. But the very end of it, the premise is like, well, I don't want to, it's from the 80s. Actually, I'm going to spoil it. So if you guys haven't seen it, here it comes. Skip ahead. 83, 88, 89. There's a series. Yeah, I've never seen the follow-up ones. But the beginning- Four came out in 2012. Ooh, I might have to, I might have to have a, <laughs> but like this girl goes to sleepaway camp and like, she's there with her cousin or her sister. I can't remember like exactly the relation, but like, mur- obviously in all good thrillers from the eighties, murders start to happen in a camp and, in a camp. And like <laughs> one of them, like I didn't curl my hair for a long time because like a curling iron was used to like horribly murder somebody. Like, uh, yeah and but at the end it comes out that like like i said spoiler alert like she's not a girl her parents she's a boy who her parents may live as a girl it's like really traumatizing for me it's like a, when i watched it when i was like 14 but sometimes i'll be sitting this is adhd brain <laughs> sometimes i'll be sitting and the scene from that like she's like standing there with a knife and like she's like naked. So you see, like, holy crap, she's not a girl, but she's standing with a knife, like, ah. And that wow. image will pop into my head, like just randomly. That sounds awful. It's scary. It's 
but it made me. That's think, why like, I don't watch scary movies. That happens to me too. Actually, uh, one of our friends has been posting a scary movie every day. Yeah. Oh yeah. You see, yeah. Yeah. And he watches great, like he watches great movies, like a lot of like movies I've never even heard of. So what I'll do is I'll just go and read the synopsis for that entire mm. movie. Then I don't have to like see anything that will like scare me. And I can still know what happens because I, I have no chill. I couldn't remember the name of this movie. And we were trying to talk about it at work. And I was like, yeah, you could do that scary movie. Like they're at camp and like the girl is really a boy that the parents made live as a girl. And they're like, what? No. So I start Googling it. And I was like, if I get arrested, it's from this search history <laughs> right here. Like it's of all the things I search, it's like. Did it pop up pretty quickly? No, it took me like 30 minutes, but I found it. And oh, then like in all the United the... Kingdom, it's called Nightmare Vacation. So There's... maybe some someone saw it in the UK and it's called Nightmare Vacation. <laughs> Sleepaway camp. So, oh man. Yeah, it was very like because it's the twist is like at the, at the end. But There's that, always a twist. That reminds me. A crazy twist. I almost i'm just gonna go ahead and spoil it because i didn't i'm not gonna do it but i had sat all day thinking that next week i was just going to do like a friday the 13th where i would just like talk about these murders I'm like it was jason oh just like, like you were gonna try to trick us yeah just for like halloween but then i realized like that could be copyright infringement and i didn't think i could do it so i didn't know but yeah maybe don't it's spooky season. Go watch some scary movies. I'm going to be thinking about that that movie you just told me about and the twist. You could never do that. Like, you can't do that now. No, That's, you can't. It's and not like, okay, one. <laughs> like, no, and like now as like an adult, I realize like it is more traumatic that this child had to go through this because the, the, like, the girl was like 14. Yeah, and the image that they're portraying of like trans people in general that they're like secret murderers and stuff is not Yeah, good. it's not. No, it's not good at all. But it is one of the most traumatizing 80s scary films I've ever seen. Okay, I'm not going to yeah. I'm not going to watch it, but I will Google the synopsis yeah, and read crazy. about everything that happens during and it. Then, you have to at least like watch, watch like Freddy Krueger. Nope. I don't. It's Halloween. I haven't. You know what I will watch? It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We do the Great Pumpkin every year with the kids. They get like a book. I just, I'll just watch it because it's on. Somewhere it's on. What else? I like. Uh, Hocus Pocus. It's Hocus Pocus. Exactly. I like Little Monsters. That's one of my favorites. Uh, was the what f- is- Drop Dead Fred would be oh, a great I mean, Halloween drop- movie. That's good all the time. See, Beetlejuice. Are- Beetlejuice is my favorite. I love it. Uh, um, definitely what- top five for me. What is the one? It was a Disney movie. It was like, do you remember like the monster was under his bed and they like go under? That's Little Monsters. Okay, so that scared the shit out of me growing up. <laughs> Yeah, I love that movie. Uh-uh. Um, and Jordan had you become no like the idea. boogeyman or something. Like it's like he's yeah, the yeah, yeah. If you stay under there too long, at Fred Savage and Howie Mandel. Yeah, yes, yeah. I loved it. 
Um, and Jordan had no idea what I was talking about. Sorry, my husband it's, had no idea what I was talking about. It's <laughs> terrifying. I was, I was just like, no, it's great. It's hilarious. I always wanted that to be real. There was another one. Uh, what's it called? He wears a shirt and it says Stephen King rules in it. Uh, something club. The Babysitter's Club. It's like the Babysitter's Club, but it's boys. It's like the Vampire Killer's Club or something. Um, oh, it's so good. I'm going to Google I'm the I'm a Halloween and- Town girl as well. And knowing that, like, the girl and the bad guy from Halloween Town are now in, like, a... They're, like, A real-life love. Oh, I'm obsessed <laughs> and way too invested in that. Monster Squad. Oh, it just sounds awesome. It's so good. If you like like 80s movies with that kind of like silly, scary vibe, that's what you Is it like kid appropriate or no? Yeah, I think your kids could watch it. Like okay. I don't think like in the 80s they may have been like this isn't for kids, but now your kids could No bullshit sure. because scary movies in the 80s. I tried watching my oldest is like, I want to watch a scary movie. And I was like, we'll watch an 80s scary movie because it's the 80s and they're not like that scary. <laughs> it couldn't be that bad. So we start watching Nightmare on Elm Street and like it's midday. First thing, boobs. And I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, they do all have boobs. You're not allowed to see boobs. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, I liked that little, that's like all these movies you can watch if you don't like scary movies that much for mm-hmm. Halloween. I had to talk about something other than this horrific crime. So that's awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, and you'd like us to keep putting out ad-free content, here are some of the ways that you can help support Gruesome. You can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us, and you get a I-knew-them-before-they-were-famous moment. Follow Gruesome Podcast on Instagram and talk to us on our posts. Engage with us. We love to hear from you there. If you'd like to send a donation, we have a Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and to gain access to exclusive Patreon perks. If a one-time donation is more your thing, you can find our Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and our PayPal using our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether or not that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, And on Wednesdays, we're We're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye.